It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. There's an interesting aspect to social media, but YouTube in particular, where I feel like when I'm on YouTube and I go on YouTube knowing that I'm going to watch one specific video, Whitney, that inevitably, even though I know this has a likelihood of happening, because of the suggested videos that pop up in the right-hand sidebar, I find more than any other platform, I have a tendency to go down the YouTube rabbit hole because of those suggested videos. Like their, their algorithm is so intelligent that I will an hour later often look up and go, how did an hour go by and where even am I? I'm so down that, so deep down that rabbit hole. I don't even remember what video I started on. So recently I was on YouTube looking for some guitar instruction videos and was purposefully going on there just, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look for these different chord structures for acoustic guitar. And that leads me down a rabbit hole of like the new Mortal Kombat movie. And I'm watching trailers for that. And anyway, the rabbit hole continues to go down. And then in the suggested videos, one of them popped up and the title was something like, Are You a Sigma Male? And it had this, this, the thumbnail was, was like, like one of the Spartans from the movie 300, you know, it was like this old, like, you know, warrior. And it said, are you a Sigma male? And I thought I've never heard this terminology before. So of course I click on this video and that video leads me to a whole bunch of articles on the internet. It's, it's really interesting when you find a terminology you've never heard before and it piques your interest. It's like, oh, interesting. Where is this going to lead? I had never heard this terminology before, Whitney, of a Sigma male. And as I'm going down this rabbit hole, which I want to discuss with you today, I found out that there are some psychological frameworks that say there are six different male personality types. I mean, the only ones that I had ever heard of was an alpha male and a beta male. That was my only experience was pretty much to this point, there are definitions in these articles, but my my viewpoint of an alpha male was like, really aggressive, really confident, a person who always wanted to or needed to be in charge, you know, the kind of person that also maybe their aggression was directed in such a way that, you know, if you like look up the hashtag like alpha male or there's another one called alpha male shit, it's like lifting weights, hunting, shooting guns, driving the, you know, crazy cards, sort of like this ultra masculinity being displayed for people is how I kind of viewed alpha males. And then betas were maybe more submissive, didn't talk as loudly, didn't necessarily feel that they needed to be a leader or be the person in control. That's just kind of my basic understanding of what I thought were the only two types, alpha and beta males, but apparently there's six. So I want to just dive in, Whitney, with talking about this sigma thing, because it was just a very, very curious thing to me. And like we've talked about Myers-Briggs and we've talked about the four tendencies and we've talked about a lot of sort of personality tests. I want to go on record to say that I don't necessarily believe that there needs to be like a hard, fast rule as I'm reading through this, like, oh, I'm definitely a Sigma male or I'm definitely an Omega male or a Delta male. It seems like as I'm researching this with, with a lot of those personality tests, that there's almost an amalgam or a combination of different aspects that I'm not specifically in one. Nonetheless, most of these articles that we will link to in the show notes at wellevator.com, our website is W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. That is where you will find the hub for everything we do, including the show notes and transcript for this episode. So anything we mention, the YouTube videos, the articles, anything Whitney pops out of her golden, beautiful mind, we will link to all of those in the show notes where you can also find us on social media and watch the YouTube version of this video, unless you're already watching it on YouTube. I digress and I move forward. Sigma males, Whitney, do you want to hear about them? Because I find this fascinating as hell. 
And as I'm saying this, it will be interesting for you to say, like, I wonder which one Jason is. Or, you know, again, with gender non-binary, we talk about this as male personalities, but it doesn't necessarily mean that since I identify as male, I'm the only person that's going to align with these characteristics. You know, it may be that you shake your head, Whitney, or some of our female listeners and go, oh, yeah, I identify with that, too. So Sigma males, why are they so popular? I brought up this article on a website called Brightside. And it's kind of lengthy, so I don't necessarily want to like read the whole thing. Uh, we take out tidbits and discuss. So before I pass the baton to you, Whitney, I want to just set set kind of this up for uh, some of the characteristics of a Sigma male. Okay, so Sigma male apparently is defined as a man who doesn't need external validation from other people. He's not necessarily loud or brash, but tends to be more calm and collected. Sigma males introverted but confident. And they're outside the usual societal norms and don't necessarily look for groups to fit into because they themselves are pretty uncommon. So that that's another aspect of this is these Sigma males, I guess. I've read some articles saying that in terms of the population, they tend to be a much lower minority in terms of these masculine traits. So anyway, it says Sigma and alpha males are equal and they share many common characteristics. They're both super confident, their life choices, they aim high, but the main difference is in their attitude and how they see life. Sigmas choose to live and operate outside of the societal hierarchy while alphas want to be at the top of it. And alphas achieve success by climbing the hierarchy ladder and trying to be better than everyone. Sigmas, on the other hand, don't give a shit and they don't belong to any tribe. They do everything on their own and they're very self-motivated. Sigmas don't care about expectations. They're rule breakers and rebellious. They don't want to fit into molds. They don't give a shit about hierarchies or norms and trends that alphas set. They want to be outside of those rules and those structures. You can't tell them how to dress or how to act. They do what they want. They struggle with authority, and they're usually self-employed and hold peace and flexibility in high regard. It's better for Sigmas to work on their own because they have no trouble managing time and organizing themselves. There's a lot of other things, so I want to stop there before I go a little too crazy. But it's interesting to think about this idea of being a rule breaker or living outside of hierarchies. Because I think, Whitney, if I think about like certain alpha males, whether they're you know some of the entre- entrepreneurs we talk about or actors or celebrities, it seems that they have gone to the top of the hierarchy in their given field and operate inside of that box, inside of that hierarchy. But apparently these sigmas just don't give a shit at all. And so that was the first thing to me. I was like, ooh, I'm rebellious and I, I don't like hierarchy and I don't like rules. Maybe I'm a sigma. I don't know. It's it's interesting. And and I guess before I, you know, talk my face off, I'm curious if you've considered this in the context of like either you know men that you have worked with or men that you've dated or if you even considered like what type of man you are magnetically drawn to in different contexts how do you feel about this cuz i i want to read more in the article but i want to gauge kind of like how you're feeling about this whole thing from the get well i feel like based on some research that i'm doing behind the scenes right now that there's actually a big issue with these categories for men. First of all, trying to reduce ourselves into these type of categories in general is a slippery slope. But the thing that I'm coming across here is that there's actually a whole backstory behind the idea of alpha, beta, and now sigma men that is based in discrimination, misogyny. There's there's a I don't know if you came across any of this, Jason, but like, I think it's it's interesting to me because it makes me pause in terms of why these categories are even being used and how they're being used and what they really stand for. So that's what I'm looking into right now. So I'm not really that interested in discussing this until I really understand the roots, because I think it can be a tricky subject matter when we don't really know the history behind the development like for example i was talking about on one of our episodes the i think it's an hbo documentary called persona that gives the history of the myers briggs test and it's it opened my eyes to the fact that a lot of the categories that we put ourselves in like they're not 
without their flaws. And I think actually they can do more harm than good in a lot of ways. In fact, I also pulled up a recent Twitter post and apparently the the idea of the Sigma male got a lot of flack on Twitter recently, a few months ago at least. And people were really debating this whole concept on there that I haven't fully dug into yet. So that's what I'm doing behind the scenes. If you want to continue on sharing some things, Jason, then once I've finished and can better summarize some deeper perspectives on this, because I'm mainly because I don't want to feed into the subject matter if it does have roots in discrimination or misogyny, like that's not okay. And I don't want to perpetuate these classifications in that case. Fair enough. I think to your point before I kind of read a few more of these aspects on this list that I I find interesting is that I think the danger you're talking about is that I think sometimes if we identify too closely with one of these personalities or categories that we can often use it to justify behavior that is not beneficial or good, right? In the sense that, well you know, I'm an alpha male and I do alpha male shit and I'm just aggressive and I'm dominant. And like, you know, you either like it or you don't as an example, or, you know, why I'm a Sigma and I don't like hierarchy and I don't like rules and I don't follow anyone. You know, there can be a justification, I think, when we identify too closely with what we think we are, and then we operate in a box in a framework where we don't allow for any other type of behavioral shifts or perspectives because we think we are so much of this thing. I think that's the big danger in any of this, right? Is oh, I'm an ENFJ or I'm I'm an INFP or I'm this and this is how I am in the world. It's almost the same as something like even astrology, right? I know this is tangential, but I, I've had some, <laughs> I had a mutual acquaintance slash friend of ours one time be like, ugh, yeah, I can't date cancer men. And I was like, what? I mean, you can't date cancer. You can't date cancer men. I was like, the fuck is that? You guys are just so sensitive and you're so you're so much of an emotional handful and you feel too much. And then fast forward a year later, she's like, oh, I started dating a cancer and I like it. But her idea was like, I'm going to put all of you guys in a box and label you as too high maintenance, too emotional, too sensitive, and therefore you're, I'm never going to date you. And then she dates one and she's like, oh, I actually like this. So the danger in this labeling, to your point, Whitney, is we put things in a construct that doesn't allow for growth and evolution. And sometimes we don't even allow ourselves to experience another person because we're prejudging them. You know, you're a Cancer, you're a Sagittarius, you're this, you're that. And so my feedback on what you said is I'm taking all of this with a massive grain of salt as I'm reading through it. Massive grain of salt. Absolutely. We have to really look at the roots and what what immediately gave me a red flag is that it seems like this hierarchy basically or this categorization was created by the men's right movement, which is actually a very openly misogynistic group. So that's where I was like, okay. And it also seems to be mostly comprised of white, cisgendered, heterosexual men and even very like Southern, perhaps very right wing, like very extremist white men. And to me, I have very little tolerance for anything that is racist, sexist, and ignorant. And it seems to me like there's also some ignorance around this idea of the stigma male, Jason, that you might not have come across. And this is a great example of it's really important to do your research before you come to conclusions and really cross-referencing things. So when you go and type in stigma male, like look at a number of different sources and be mindful of the sources. I will link to some. I found one on Forbes, which can be a little iffy as a source sometimes, but there's a really in-depth article about this on Mother Jones, which tends to be very well-researched. It's got a super long article on the history of things like this. And then, of course, there's all these Twitter conversations where you can read different perspectives. And one, there's a kind of a random website I came across, but it does have a, a, a documentation of all these conversations. It's 
uh, comicsans.com. Maybe not one website that I can recognize or trust, but it does have embedded all the Twitter conversations around this. And apparently the men's right movement is a hate ideology under the umbrella of male supremacy. So it's like, are men like you, Jason, susceptible to things like, I mean, this is part of the conversation too. Like for you being a white, straight man with a lot of privilege, you're a very open-minded, inclusive person, but even to your point, you came across this through YouTube, which I think is like one of the big problems with social media and the content creation world right now is that anybody can post anything. And if they're smart, they can create a very clickbaity video and they can convince you into believing that this makes sense. And then if that appeals to some part of your white male heterosexual brain that you've been programmed through our society, maybe you're going to believe it without even questioning it. And I think that's incredibly important here is like, was something created like this made with ignorance? Another clue for me is that apparently the alpha male concept was based on a now debunked theory of wolf packs. So there's this idea of this wolf pack, which maybe you've come across more as you've been researching this, Jason. But apparently a lot of the <laughs> those concepts are based on theories that aren't even fully accurate anyways. So it's like we we have to check ourselves and be really mindful of what we're subscribing to, you know? And I think that's why these conversations are so important is it shows how susceptible we are to believing something because it seems to make sense to us. But sometimes we have to question what makes sense and why. Yeah, and I'm grateful for your diligence to do the research, Whitney, because for me, it's one of those things where, you know, I kind of, like you said, took the bait on YouTube and was like, ooh, what's this? And that led me to a bunch of other articles. But I think in a way, if we kind of blow this out to a larger discussion, you know, does this framework exist? Because since we're talking about male personality types and the origins of it, as you as you had talked about where you've seen these come from. You know, is it a way to subjugate people to believe something about themselves, like I was saying, to keep them stuck in a role or think that they have to play a specific role, right? In the sense that if you get labeled as something like a beta male, and then you think you have to subscribe to whatever that framework is of, you know, subservience and quietness and taking a back seat and letting someone else lead, it's almost like as I said before, you're you're not allowing the fullest expression of who you are to come through and live because you think you have to subscribe to this thing because it's what you believe you are. It's almost like, gosh, I feel like there's a parable in here of like, you talk about the wolf pack, about like when you see animals that are a certain species being raised by a completely different species and they take on the mannerisms and they take on the behavioral patterns of the different species they were raised by. And I know that's a, a bit tangential, but I feel like it's kind of the same. It's like if if you believe you are one thing so strongly, it's almost like you don't allow yourself to be who you are. And I think you talking about the roots of this makes me question, are structures and personality constructs like this created to keep people stuck and to keep people in a mode where they don't question what they really are? You know what I mean? Like, what is the level of subjugation behind these things, to your point? Because to me, it's almost like if you if you have hierarchy and you have people constantly believing they need to be better than what they are or greater than what they are or subservient and not question. I mean, that we're talking now mind control, right? We're talking about getting people stuck in a mode. So before we go on, you know, it's interesting as I'm reading through some of these articles as I said, you know, if I just scan these, Whitney, I can pick out, <laughs> I mean, with every single one, I can pick out aspects of myself, right? So then, so why then do I feel the need? And why did I click on that YouTube video? What's going on with me psychologically that I feel like maybe 
I will feel safer and more in control if I have a very succinct, tight definition of myself, right? Well, you know, I'm, I'm a Sigma Cancer INFJ Enneagram number seven. What are you? I mean, we, we, again, we put all these parameters on what we are. But the question is why? Is it because of safety? Do we want a level of certainty about what we believe we are in the world? If we believe a certain thing, is that sort of a, a true north that, that guides us through life because I believe I'm all these things? Maybe it is safety and security and certainty. Maybe that's why people want to align. And maybe that's why I did too. Maybe this will help me define who I am. But why do I feel the need to do that? That's the real question. Certainly. And and this brings me back to that documentary persona I was talking about, which I, I just pulled up an article from Refinery29 about this that I'll link to in our show notes. As Jason mentioned, everything that we referenced today, if you want to continue down this research path with us, uh, you can go to wellevator.com and find links to everything that we reference. It's spelled W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. And if you click on the podcast section, you'll find this episode and all these links. So in this Refinery29 article, it is summarizing the Persona documentary. And a really great point that they make in this article is that while personality quizzes seem harmless and fun, they can be racist, sexist, and generally discriminatory. (laughs) And personality tests are, by and large, based on norms devised from college-educated, straight white men who don't have any known disabilities. And that's part of my point here. Now, I believe, though, the Myers-Briggs was, because I watched, I didn't finish the documentary yet, actually. I got a little bored with it, to be honest. (laughs) But from what I took away from it, that was actually a mother and a daughter that created that incredibly popular test. So I'm going to read a little bit more to, to remind myself of the the history of that. But I do think that's a great point. It's like, it doesn't necessarily have to be men, but I do think white people in general are responsible for many of these personality tests, which is, first of all, you know, concerning because racism is a huge issue. It's not inclusive in that case. People that are, quote, traditionally educated, right? So if you have access to a certain level of education, you might feel like you know better Is it cisgendered? Is this heterosexual people? Like all of these other factors basically are excluding other people, right? So anybody who's coming up with this and thinks they have all the answers, they're very biased if they're not inclusive of others in the process of creating these tests, you know? And that's the the red flag that I have is like, we really have to understand who created this. And then they have taken they've become such a big part of our culture and, and the way that we identify ourselves. And to your point, Jason, it's like we start to put ourselves in these boxes. And we, I think that we're drawn to that for a sense of security and for a sense of trying to understand ourselves. It's like, oh, if I know who I am, then I feel safer and more comfortable in the world because then I I can, you know, come out and, and be super confident in myself because that's who I am. And astrology is similar in a lot of ways. Like I'm actually someone that's very intrigued by astrology, but think about how many times we use our sign as like a way to define ourselves. And to your point, Jason, it's like, how much is that boxing us in? And to your point too, I remember reading horoscopes and and depending on the source, because some, some horoscopes can actually be pretty in depth. But some of them could, you know, you could read any of them, regardless of your sign, regardless of your chart, and all of them could apply to you. So who's even writing these? I remember growing up being very intrigued. And there were these little, like, they were rolled up pieces of paper. Do you remember these, Jason? They were like your horoscopes, but they were like in tube shapes. Like, I haven't thought about this in so long. It's all coming coming back to me right now. But I remember like unrolling them and reading my sign and they must have been like something you could buy for a dollar at the checkout counter. I'm going to have to look this up, (laughs) but I distinctly remember them. And I thought, and then there were also like the books that you could buy. And I was thinking as a teenager, who has the time to write these so quickly? Like they're churning these out. How could they possibly be accurate? 
you know? And like, that was when I started to question the validity of it. It's like, if this is true, like that takes a lot of knowledge and awareness. Now, certainly I suppose some people could channel it. Some people are so experienced, but how do you, how can you predict someone's day? And I remember as a kid being very drawn to that because it was like, it felt safe. It felt reassuring. It felt like I was less responsible. And that's part of it too. There's almost like, oh, well, I I can't help it because I'm an Aries. Or for someone else, like, oh, that explains your behavior. You're an Aries. Like, of course you would do that. And it's like a really quick way that we can make judgments or excuses or explanations for anyone's behavior. But it can be very damaging at the same time, to your point. And it can also perpetuate sexism and racism and all of these different issues that we're facing right now. And that's why I think it's incredibly important that we evaluate the roots of it. I think these things exist, too, maybe because on a primal level, as human beings, we're constantly trying to assess benefit versus threat when we meet a person. As innocent as as it might seem, you know, if we go out on a date with a person and we find out they're a Scorpio and we have a belief system that we're not compatible with Scorpios or our ex-girlfriend or boyfriend or partner who was a Scorpio, things ended badly. And then we have this preconceived notion or judgment of this person is probably a threat, so I won't give them a chance. Or if I see someone who's classified themselves as... uh, whatever, a Sigma male, then I expect that they're going to be rebellious and maybe that's going to be too chaotic. So I, I ought not give them a chance. I think this really comes down to, I mean, let's let's get to the nitty gritty. Why do we have division in the world between humanity? I mean, if, if, you, if you really go back not that long ago in, in human civilization, prior to probably industrialized agriculture and the civilization boom, we were living in small tribal communities, right? We didn't have the level of society and, you know, certainly not close to 8 billion people on the planet. I think, I wonder if all of these things arose, Whitney, not simply to, quote, try and understand ourselves, but to label people based on nationality, ethnicity, gender, religion, personality type, et cetera, et cetera, to compartmentalize people to assess if we perceive they're going to be beneficial or they're going to threaten our livelihood. I mean, it really, if you if you come down to it and you think about how these labels and these buckets that we put ourselves in as human beings, we really do use them to assess whether we want to get closer to a person or further away from them. Really, it's like on a very basic level, I'm completely... I'm holding myself accountable to this too, right? It's like if I perceive someone as, you know, having a certain political affiliation or perspective on, you know, gun laws or, I mean, there's so many examples here. I do it too. I prejudge people all the time. And I think it's important to check ourselves, right, before we do that, because we're not allowing ourselves to actually engage with a person on a really human level because we're already judging them. I'm not going to like, you know, I'm not going to like them because blah, 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 blah. And they believe this and they do this. I mean, really, we do this constantly as human beings. And I think the question is why? Why have we done this? Why? Why? I don't know. I just, I wonder what the world would be like and how humans would treat one another if we were to get rid of these labels and these boxes. Like, how would we engage one another truly? And I think... Maybe there'd be a lot more openness. There'd be less judgment. There'd, there'd certainly be less prejudging people. But I think the point is these these judgments can be really dangerous. They can be really dangerous in the sense that because we assess a person in a certain way, whether that's through social media or direct contact, we initiate a lot of aggression toward people that are too different than us. If you're too different than me, you must be unsafe and you must be untrustworthy. Therefore, you're the enemy. I mean, wh- I mean, really, like at the foundation, why else do wars continue? Why why is there mass violence and mass hatred? As humanity, we can't seem to stop war. We can't seem to stop killing each other. And the question is why? And maybe this deep, deep level to subjugate each other and put each other in categories is a big part of it. 
you're different. You're too different. You know, you're, you're not worthy of the same rights and protections and love that I am. You're less than me because you're X, Y, Z. It's, I mean, at a level of language and belief, I think this is really critical to examine. It absolutely is. And I, I'm not sure that human beings can operate without that. We haven't figured it out thus far. Maybe we haven't been around quite as long as we think we have. So there's a lot of, of shifts in our consciousness. But who knows if we have enough time? You know, who knows how long human beings will even be a species, like given the state of the environment. I've been watching this movie on, or not movie, the series on HBO called Raised by Wolves. And it's really fascinating because the concept of it is that Earth has, has been destroyed by war and that basically separated by religious people and atheists. And, you know, this far into the future, it's like 200 or plus years in the future, there's now androids that live amongst us that are helpful and some are dangerous and kind of like Terminator. And of course, the androids can be programmed to be religious or atheist. And they try to start over humanity. So from my understanding, it's a little confusing. (laughs) Once I make it through the series, I'm going to go and do my research on it. I'm afraid right now to do research to see any spoilers. So this is all based on my viewpoint. But basically, the very religious people create an ark, which is a, a spaceship in this, you know, but similar to Noah's Ark. And it's kind of elitist or classist or, or based on religion that only certain people can go on this ark to survive. And the people on the ark are the very religious people. So I imagine all the atheist people supposedly are left behind, although there are twists to that that I won't get into. And their, their hope is to go to a different planet and start over. But it, it doesn't go that way. And that's all I'll say. And the show is just this realization that a just because you're religious does not mean that you're full of peace and harmony and we certainly know this like it seems to be the belief system that's rooted in love and connection and support but you and I both know Jason after our experiences in Christianity and Catholicism like it's not always like that and it's unfortunate and certainly in the United States and other parts of the world, we see corruption happening from money, from sex, from violence. Like it's not a, it doesn't solve it. It doesn't bring peace to everyone just because you all believe in in a similar religion or the same religion. And that show is highlighting that and how even that desire to try to start over, like, oh, let's escape this war. We'll start over. But it's like, we can't really escape it. Like that's perhaps what it is to be human like that might just be part of our experience and similarly if we look at nature and the violence that happens within nature you know that's just part of the animal experience and we see these lessons over and over again we we as human beings even try to tame animals and then we blame them for their natural tendencies their natural aggression or violence or behavior and we try to control them and i think honestly that's part of what this all is jason it's it's control but it still comes down to a root in safety i think we're all just scrambling to feel safe all the time and whatever we can do to create comfort or a sense of calm or control. And I almost see over and over again, it's like the more we try to control something, the less it's controlled. It just eventually will be out of our control again. And that seems to be the ongoing lesson in movies and TV shows and books. It's like, that's, that's like one of those classic storylines is the people that thought they had it all together and controlled are often just as susceptible to ego and violence and corruption and all of these issues. And once once we fall into those traps, everything falls apart again. So maybe it's more a matter of acceptance, Jason. Like it's not a, even the act of trying to achieve peace feels kind of forcing because if that's against our nature to have peace, it just reminds me of the more of the Buddhist way of life, which is, from my perception is all about acceptance. 
It's not trying to control and stop things or prevent things. One of my favorite examples is when I think, is it the Buddha that this man goes up and spits in his face? That story, Jason, do you know what I mean? I believe you are correct. Mm -hmm. Let me look it up. Yes. So it's the story of the man who spit in Buddha's face. And that is one of my favorite stories because the reaction was not what what the man who spit thought that he was going to get from the Buddha. The Buddha just sat there and didn't react. So he's not trying to control the man or shame the man or get, you know, get the man in trouble. He's just letting that man exhibit his behavior and his anger. And, and actually through that process of acceptance, I believe what happens in the end is that the man recognizes it himself and that that's how they work through it. And I think that's like one of the biggest lessons, even when we were talking about that Alan Watts quote, Jason, like the reason you're not better is the reason you're trying to be or whatever it is. It's like, maybe we just need to stop trying and we'll achieve either what we want or what's actually better for us. Not, you know, it's also like the Rolling Stone song, like you don't always get what you want, but you get what you need. It's like we as human beings tend to just strive and strive and strive and control and we want things and we think we need them and we think we're right about them. But if we just kind of relaxed and let go of control, maybe we would just be in our natural state and get more of what we actually need. I did want to share some more research that I found. And because I didn't finish the persona documentary, I likely missed this part of it where the women, it was a mother and daughter, as I remembered, named Isabel Briggs Myers and Catherine Cook Briggs. They developed a test together and Isabel had written a wildly racist novel So people believe that the test contains traces of her racist, sexist, ableist, and classist ideals, which is really disheartening to hear because here we are saying, oh, I'm an INFP or whatever. And it's like because some racist, classist, sexist, ableist woman labeled you as that, are you a Sigma male because some white heterosexual man said that you are like, who are any of us to label each other in these ways? And that's part of the issue too. It just goes back to the control and putting it into each other in a box. And it it actually makes me just want to start erasing that language from my dialogue, not, not, not a judgment because it's not certainly by me not talking about it. It's not like I'm not going to come across it. I think in our lifetimes, Jason, we are going to continue to see astrology come up a lot and and all these personality tests and categories and all of those things. And you will, we're in the habit of, of calling ourselves rebels and questioners, et cetera, and all of those different philosophies, which again, you know, even the Four Tendencies quiz was written by a white woman. But granted, my assessment of of her is that she doesn't come across as racist or sexist or et cetera. But who am I to know? I'm trusting this woman that I only know through her writing. Like, who am I to say that she she <laughs> she doesn't have any of those qualities of herself? So I need to be mindful not to overly trust the quiz results that I get from these tests. And I think, lastly, I would say, Jason, that like it's not just about my decisions, I see the ripple effect and I don't want to participate with the knowledge of the history of these tests, you know, because for me really working on being anti-racist, once I identify that something's racist, like I don't want to have any part of it because then I'm, what's the term, like compliant, not complying, perpetuating. I'm part of the problem basically, you know, not the solution. So it's not like I can just brush it under the rug. Oh, yeah, it doesn't matter that that woman was racist. Like, these these are actually really helpful. It's like, they can be helpful, but knowing that it's racist makes me very uncomfortable, and I don't want to be part of it. Yeah, you, you bring up really, really interesting points, Wit. And, you know, I, I think to me, what I want to endeavor to do is to be more aware, not only of the origins of these, but... Beyond that, be aware of, as I was saying earlier, how I'm 
unconsciously judging people based on a lot of these things in so many contexts, judging people based on their religion, judging people based on their horoscope, judging people based on their political beliefs, judging people based on, I mean, it's happening a lot, you know, and, and, you know, judging people on, you know, their stance on vaccines. I mean, it's, it's interesting just to think about how, when we spot a difference in a person, we seem to just shut off any possibility of appreciating or acknowledging the other aspects of their humanity. It's really interesting, you know, that as soon as they like, oh, they bring up something that doesn't sit with our worldview. It's almost like, can we have a better level of interaction and respectful communication with people that believe completely different than us? To that point, we actually, as a potential teaser, we got a really, really wonderful email from a, from a listener who is a, a small farmer in the Midwest who we invited her to come on and, and talk about what it's like to, you know, have a production that kills animals for food. It's like, we've never had a guest like that on here. Now, could we have, as people who identify as vegans, responded to that email with vitriol and anger and like, there's no way we'd have you on, you're an evil... No, because she's a human being with her own thoughts and perspectives and belief systems. And to Whitney's point, you know, we have a lot of conversations behind the scenes about the direction of this podcast, what kind of guests, what kind of conversations, what uncomfortable subjects we want to cover. And to learn and grow and also, I think, walk the talk of let's be inclusive and talk to people who have wildly different belief systems and practices than us, it's going to be uncomfortable as hell. Of course it is. But I don't certainly care to surround myself, Whitney, with only people that are in perfect alignment with my beliefs and viewpoints. I think that's dangerous to a degree because it isolates us. It puts us in silos of thinking that's the only worldview there is. My worldview is the worldview. But I think it's also dreadfully boring at a certain point, isn't it? If you're just surrounding yourself with people with the same religion, same beliefs, same sexual orientation... It's a very myopic way, I think, of living life. And so I use this example as a potential future guest. We haven't officially booked her yet, but she sent us the sweetest, kindest email. It was a wonderful email. And it was like, I want to talk to this person as a human being, even if I completely disagree with her ethics and her worldview, that I can still engage her as in a loving, respectful, receptive way. And I want to practice that. I want to practice talking to people that I may say, you know what? Respectfully, I completely disagree. I understand what you're saying and why you believe what you believe. And I can still love you and respect you and honor you as a human, even though I disagree with you. And I think if there is any hope of humanity surviving, I mean, environmental catastrophes aside, we have to do better at respecting and loving one another, even if we completely disagree with who they are. It's not easy. Right. Because I told you when I got that email, I was like, I don't know if I can do this. But then I sat with it and I was like, no, this is a human being with a beautiful heart who wrote an eloquent, sweet, honest message. Let's talk. Let's talk. Let's talk and be open. And I think to me, I want to do better at doing that, not just here on the podcast, but in life, dropping the judgment, dropping the barriers I put against people and say they're a human being with they've suffered, they've loved, they feel things. Likely, they just want to be healthy and safe and protect their family and live a good life. Their definition of that is maybe drastically different than mine. But I think at the core, most people want safety, health, protection, abundance, and know that they're, they and their families are safe and healthy. I really believe most human beings want that. They might go about it in different ways, though, and that's where we get hung up, right? That's where we hung each other up. Absolutely. And this... The show wouldn't be called This Might Get Uncomfortable if it didn't get uncomfortable at times. <laughs> we say might because some episodes feel pretty comfortable to us. <laughs> but, you know, a lot of times we're talking about things that we feel ignorant in or things that we're questioning and, and it goes in different directions. Certainly, I think when you brought this subject matter up, Jason, you probably weren't anticipating it to go here. <laughs> And that's that's why it's so important to talk to other people and to verbalize when you don't fully agree with somebody. I think doing it kindly and respectfully is my preference. It's not always going to go that way. And tough conversations are tough because we're all bringing our viewpoints and 
sometimes our viewpoints clash and it's scary. It's threatening. I think that's the the human nature is that we are threatened when we don't feel like we know where something is going, when we feel like something is different and going to change course, when we are right now as human beings mostly terrified of doing things the wrong way. There's so much shame in getting things wrong. We are really encouraged to try to get things right. But the more I explore these subject matters, the more I realize like it's so gray. It's not black and white. And I tend to be very repelled by belief systems that are based in something being right or wrong, black or white. I think that open-minded look and that acceptance, as I mentioned earlier, are important because oftentimes our viewpoints are based in the past as well. Like they're based on past information, not present. And to your point, Jason, to acknowledge another human being standing in front of you and recognizing that we could completely change our worldview in that moment is actually very exciting to me. There's, it reminds me, um, we talk often about how uncomfortable it makes us when the vegan community gets really in the ego about being, doing things the right way. And I think actually talking with somebody like this woman is really important for us because as much as you and I, Jason, identify as very compassionate, open-minded vegans, the fact that we're triggered by someone like that shows that we still have a lot of growth to go. Like we have a long way to go in our thought processes. And it's also scary because we run the risk of other vegans judging us and putting us on blast and trying to cancel us because we're open-minded. But, you know, it still brings me back to the show Raised by Wolves. So for anyone who hasn't watched it yet, it's on HBO. And there's a lot of really interesting philosophical viewpoints of the show. And like the religious side of it is really interesting because I've been watching it thinking like, is this show kind of have an atheist agenda or does it have a religious agenda? I'm not sure. But like the fact that I'm not sure if it has an agenda is is actually exciting because that shows that it's like perhaps trying to be in the middle in that gray area and showing different perspectives. And there are some scenes where people are questioning the religion and the religious people are basically like, if you don't do this, if you don't believe that, then like, you know, you're wrong or whatever else. And it reminds me of the vegan way of, of thinking where it's like, oh, if you even consider, or if you're kind to somebody who kills animals, like you're not a good vegan. And I just don't, I don't believe in that. I think that does a major disservice. And there's this woman on that was on TikTok who actually got banned, Jason. I don't know if you've ever heard of her, but she's called the vegan teacher. You've heard of her? No. She's actually, you know, in some ways similar to the style that your friend Gary, what's Gary's last name again? Yurofsky? Yeah. Wow. Okay. She, what is in, sty- in style in, in terms of her presentation? Yeah, she's very intense. She's very like, this is this is the way. And, you know, but I also know based on your experience with Gary, my limited experience with Gary is that he's got a really good heart, very well-meaning guy. It's just his presentation around veganism is very intense. She has that intensity and she also doesn't seem to have an open mind about anything other than the rigid rules of veganism. And so she's publicly shamed people for even be like, I saw something recently that she did like she's just in that shaming mentality. Like unless you're a hundred percent pure vegan, you're doing it wrong. That's my interpretation of her. And she got kicked off of TikTok because people were not having it. They were like, this is really extreme. But she's continued on, of course, and she has the freedom of speech to be that way. Like, you know, and part of it's like, it's it's not my cup of tea, but I'm not going to blame her. And I don't know her personally. Like I've had the experience with Gary to like see the different sides of her beyond how she is on camera. But my bring that up because it's it reminds me of how there's this unfortunate stereotype that's perpetuated with vegans of being that way. 
And I think actually, Jason, we do a service by showing that not all vegans are that extreme. And some vegans can be very open-minded and willing to engage in dialogues, even with people that they don't agree with. So that excites me as well. And we'll see if that happens. So a, a good reason for the listener to subscribe if you're if you are willing, <laughs> if you're open-minded. I imagine if you made it this far in our episode, you're fairly open-minded. But just because you're interested in personality tests doesn't mean that you necessarily share the same beliefs with us. And that's okay. That is completely okay. And and a place that I'd like to move into in my life is to accept the fact that not everybody's going to agree with me, and that's okay. Accept the fact that some people might be angry with my beliefs, and that's okay. It is okay for us to feel those feelings, to have those opinions, we're all at different stages in our consciousness and our life experience, and we're all being shaped from many different factors. If you would like to voice any of your opinions, your thoughts, you can email us. You can send us a message on social media. As Jason would say, you could send a carrier pigeon, whatever works. But maybe if you're vegan, you wouldn't want to send a carrier pigeon. I'm not sure. But <laughs> typically, people reach out to us via email or social media, and you can find all of that information very easily on our website, wellevator.com, which again is spelled W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. If you search for it, if you go directly to the website, you'll find that along with our social media links, our email. You can even comment on the show notes of this episode, which are available in the podcast section of our website. You'll find the whole transcript. You'll find tweetables. You'll find links to all the articles that we mentioned. It's all there. There's a YouTube video if you're not already watching it and other episodes as well. There are also instructions if you would like to subscribe or leave a review for us on uh, Apple Podcasts. And there's one other podcast player that allows reviews, but I forget what it is. We love hearing from you. There's also all different podcast platforms and websites you can go and leave reviews on. So if you're on any of those and you'd like to help us spread the word, send us some positive love on your experience. We'd love to hear it. And if you want to share any criticisms or uh, voice any opinions that aren't in alignment with us, we prefer to receive those privately so we can have a safe dialogue with you. But you are also welcome to post those publicly because we don't have control over how you do things, (laughs) which is a lesson that we are reminded of all the time. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you and we look forward to having a dialogue with you either one-sided with our next podcast or uh, together through some communication. We have new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And so we will be back in just a few days. Bye for now. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to WellEvator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.